0: Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. It's good to see you all here this morning. Uh, My name is Casey Cease. I am the pastor of preaching and vision here at Christ Community Church, and it's an honor uh, to join you this morning celebrating our six-year birthday as a church. So, Christ Community Church, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Six years. All right. Got three excited people. The rest of you are like, six years is nothing. So, uh, But uh, really, really honored to be with you this morning. In our home, we make birthdays a big deal. And so on Christmas, it's Jesus' birthday, and so it's about Jesus' birthday, we make um, his birthday a big deal in our home. We celebrate Jesus. On our kids' birthdays, we make it about their day of celebrating and remembering all that God um, has done in and through them so far. My my daughter, Braylon, is ten and a half, uh, ten and three quarters, she reminded me the other day, Um, and she... her, her big thing is she loves hearing about her life before she could remember. One of her favorite stories is when she was three years old. She was, um, she was a three-nager. She didn't, twos weren't that rough, but she was definitely a three-nager. And if you know Braylon, she's very sweet now and um, you know, obedient and things like that. But when she was three, she was not. And she loves hearing stories about how bad she could be. Um, she genuinely does, and it's funny because I tell her, I mean, she would stand, I still remember in our home in Brenham, she was standing there in, like, with, her, with her hands on her hips, and I was telling her to do something, she goes, no. Time out, you're three. You don't say no. No. And, and I tell her that story, and I tell her how um, the discipline worked momentarily, um, but she eventually learned that she doesn't say no to mommy or daddy, uh, but now she's just become quite the negotiator instead. So I'm hearing you say I need to go to my room and clean it. Do you mean after this next episode on Netflix or prior to? What if I clean that and my bathroom after right, she'll, she'll negotiate? But she loves, she loves hearing her narrative leading up to that point, even though she doesn't remember all of it. Um, there was a time also when she was three years old that she got very curious we lived in a house that was built in 1936 while we were in Brenham had one of those uh, in the wall ironing boards and the iron was right there right at her height level and she came up to it and looked at me and puts her finger up I was like do not touch it she goes and then she looks at me like I betrayed her she's like "Ah." like it, it was so painful that just noise would not emote from her mouth and so she's like like you traitor and I'm like you touched it She's like, yeah, she stays away from the iron now, but she loves hearing stories about where she was, even though she can't remember all the details. And so for some of you today, this may be the first day that you become a part of the story at Christ Community Church, or may you have been here since the very beginning. Uh, Today, we're, we're baptizing several kiddos who have come of age and placed their hope in Jesus Christ. And uh, uh, two of them, uh, one of them, the Panthers' son, Jordan, uh, was a part of our launch team. And so I remember when Jordan, we, would, we, we, we moved to our church grew very quickly from one apartment to two um, in our core group. And so we had an apartment for the kids and we had an apartment uh, for the big people. And so, um, but I remember Jordan, uh, Jordan, I remember you, buddy, sitting in this little bumpo or thing that, you know, those little foam things that keep your baby who can't sit up straight. You sit him in there eating like little puff things and all that kind of stuff. And it's just been neat over the years to see you come to faith in Christ and, and to be a part of that baptism today. And so um, whether you're visiting for the first time or been a part of Christ Community Church, thank you for being a part of the story, being part of this narrative here today. If you have your Bibles, I want to begin before Christ Community Church. So we'll talk about where we began. Go with me to Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Just kidding. Uh, we're not going to go that far back. In the beginning, God, right? Um, but go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. God did create all things. He created man and woman to live in joyful obedience and relationship with himself. Because of sin, they fell and separated themselves from God. And then God, through the law and through the prophecies, made ways for them to become reconnected with him, culminating in the life and the death and the resurrection of King Jesus. And through that, then we continue the gospel narrative until Jesus comes again to rescue his own and to make all things new. And so the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, is, is, is the whole scriptures teach of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to pick up learning about kind of the idea of where did church planting and the church starting come from, and, and how are we a part of that story, and how are you a part of that story? The main thing I want us to remember and rejoice in and celebrate today isn't that, oh my gosh, it's six years and we're not dead yet. That's not what I want us to take away. What I want to take away today is that God is faithful to keep his promises to the bride of Christ. That's our only hope. The bride of Christ means the church, the gathering of God's people who've been saved through life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and by putting their faith and hope and trust in him. And so we're talking today that God is faithful to his gathering of people. We want to see that in Acts chapter 2, and it's going to be beautiful. Next week, we're going to talk about hope restored on Easter, and so I hope you'll come back with us. We're going to talk about how uh, this guy Peter, who was the right-hand man of Jesus, betrayed Jesus, denied Jesus. Jesus was killed. He rose from the dead. And then Jesus, after he came back back to life, went and found Peter, restored Peter. And a beautiful story takes place. Acts 1, Jesus commissions them. He ascends to be at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes, and they wait, and the Holy Spirit comes upon, the apostles and Peter and they begin speaking in various languages and then go out and begin declaring the good news of the gospel and so in Acts chapter 2 we see Peter giving the narrative of God's promises and his prophecies and then he gets it to the culminating point where he says and this Jesus Christ in whom you crucified his own people is both Christ and Lord and pick up with me in verse 37 now when they heard this they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Notice they weren't reasoned with, and they are like, mm, I'll buy into that. That sounds better than hell. It didn't happen that way. There was something that took place where what was once foolish and blasphemy became joyful, good, and convicting. It pierced them to the heart. They realized that there's a holy, magnificent God And that this God would have been right to bring punishment, but rather he sent his son to take our punishment, to be put to death, to be buried, to rise again, and then through that resurrection power to give you and I the great opportunity to be forgiven by God and accepted by God. And so they heard this truth and they were revealed, they were exposed. It cut to the heart. What shall we do? Have you had that moment in your life yet where you realize there is a magnificent God? And that you've lived in rebellion against him, but then you've been overwhelmed of his generosity and kindness by giving his own son Jesus. And get to that desperation of like, my life is broken. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, baptizo, immersed, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he's telling them, repent, change your thinking, change your direction. Christ is not a blasphemer. He is the king. Turn your affections and your hope towards him and on him. Be forgiven of your sins. Walk in obedience and baptism. And then the gift that was promised by Jesus, when he told his disciples he was going to go to the right hand of the Father, and he must, so that he might send this gift, his spirit, the spirit of God the Holy Spirit would come. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. There was this deep conviction of the Spirit of God about the truth and glory of God through the person of God, Jesus Thousands that day turned from their sin and placed their hope and trust in Jesus by the power of God. The gospel isn't merely an old story or facts that we ascend to and we like, okay, I agree with that. It's a power of God to take spiritually dead people and make us alive together with Christ. To forgive us and make us once again acceptable, not by our own doing. This power of God, this obedience that it calls us to, is life transforming now i know many folks in our church were very uh, many of you all are detail oriented and so you start thinking like if we had a revival of three thousand people in one day what we what would we do quite honestly if we had a revival of about 30 people in one day what would we do we only have seven parking spaces left people have to park on the grass the kids ministry get huge have to have two or three services right we start logistically but but slow down God is faithful to keep his promises to his bride. He is faithful, and so he is faithfully moving and working. We've got to understand that church planting isn't us just saying, hey, I've got my opinions, I want to do my own thing, start my own nonprofit business, and go hope for the best. Church planting happens as a result of the gospel being planted. That's why each week we come here, we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. You land us anywhere in this text, and we will point you back to the cross of Jesus. That is our only hope. The resurrection of Christ is our only hope. Some of you are nodding in agreement. I'll take that as a Baptist. Amen. Occasionally we get a grunt. Mm. And so what was the response? What was the natural overflow? What happened? Verse 42 praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The overflow of the gospel being planted is a gospel community. I was sitting in my systematic theology class, and my professor made this statement that almost caused an uprising. He says, it is impossible today to have an Acts 2 church. And I'd been involved in church planning for some time, about seven years at the time. And I really thought that there would be people weeping and gnashing of teeth and tearing their clothes because they were hoping for something better for the church. And maybe if we get back to these basics. And so he says it, and we're sitting there. And this is, this is the professor I had who made us print out his 300 pages of notes and would sit for three hours and read it to us so I went back in his notes to see where that line was because I was, I was about to start shredding paper. And so all of us were like, wait a minute, time out. He says, it's impossible to have a second Acts 2 church, literally, because that was in the first century Jerusalem. First believers who were being persecuted in many different ways, being isolated from their families. And so the gospel compelled them towards this unity and community. He says, however, we can learn a lot from the result of the gospel and the life of a community that's gathered. The per- persecution we have here is very minimal. If you saw that in Egypt, a Coptic Christian church had an explosion. The last I heard killed 20 believers today. There are people who are having their, uh, being beheaded, that are being tortured, they're being disowned by their families because of f- their faith in Jesus. But if you take the gospel and it takes root, then all of a sudden we see this gathering of God's people with a shift of focus. It's less about, it doesn't say here, and none of them ever felt lonely and they always felt connected and they had all their felt needs met and everything else. There were felt needs being met, but it was an overflow of gratitude for what God had accomplished and what God was doing. Worship isn't an obligation we come to give. Worship is an overflow and expression of who he is. We come to worship him because he is worth it, invaluable, and, and good, and true, and faithful. And so, the gathering of God's people who come together because of the gospel of Jesus do so in gratitude to what God has accomplished. We see in this passage that these folks gather together with this devotion, they were devoted first to Christ. They came and gathered around the teaching, and at the time the word they were learning was the Old Testament, what we call now the Old Testament. They were gathering around that word and probably some oral tradition about the teachings of Jesus, gathering and, and learning from the apostles what Jesus had done and who he is. Their life together had a commitment that wasn't just to each other. See, the challenge, like I said um, earlier this year, last year at Christ Community Church was the year of community. Community. And the danger of biblical community, once it's realized, if it's truly biblical, it'll be inwardly cultivating and then outwardly focused. The challenge I think we find in our culture is we get together with the same group of people, we struggle together, we congratulate each other, but we never see anybody come to faith through us, mobilized together. And so we came out of the year of community now into the year of mission While there are many churches in our area, if everybody in our area wanted to find a church in our area to go to on a Sunday morning, there would not be nearly enough space. Over the couple next years, there's expected, in a five-mile radius, to be nearly 120,000 people. There are currently around 90 to 100,000 people, almost 30% of whom say they do not have any formal religious affiliation. So while we might assume here in the South that people know Jesus because they live in the South, many people do not. And then there are many more people who go to church because that's what they believe makes them right with God, but they don't have a love relationship with God through Jesus. And so the gathering together is one, not just cheesily coming together and saying, acting fake and being like, well, glory to God, things are good, but rather coming together and struggling together, worshiping together, encouraging each other, spurring each other on towards what we see God moving towards and doing. There's this devotion that it overflows from. Listen, I say this to you all the time. Your time in the Word, your time in prayer is not just for you. It's fuel for worship and obedience and service. It's for you to gain and be near the Lord so that you can have something to bring to your family and to your community and to your church family and to those who are far off. So this devotion came also with a sense of, awe. Oh, this is awesome. That's why I like celebrating people's stories, hearing how broken and far-off people were dead in sin, and then Jesus came in, and boom, they came to life. And through this life transformation, I'm in awe of God's faithfulness. I look at you here today, and I'm in awe of what God has done in six years. I look at those of you who I know who have come to faith, who we've baptized, who have been mobilized. Those of you that have called me and said, okay, I'm trying to reach my neighbor over here. How do I talk about this? Or, hey, we've started our second Bible study in our neighborhood, and then we're having problems with this girl over here. And she's like mouthy and all that. And we, you know, I coach you through. I mean, there's a beautiful movement of God happening in our midst. That I think if we don't center ourselves around the hope we have in the gospel and the encouragement of the saints, we miss it. We start asking gospelist questions like, well, what's in it for me? And what's in it for my kids? And "What I don't feel, look, listen to me. We have not arrived with our children's ministry. We are diligently working towards it and on it. 36% of our weekly attendance are children. That only counts up to fifth grade. With intentional churches, the consulting group we've worked with, they say that is the highest we've seen in this nation, percentage wise. They say if you're 25% or so, you're a healthy, growing church. They say you're 36%, they say quit preaching Song of Solomon. (laughs) Give your people other options of stuff to do. (laughs) We're blessed, our quivers are full. I mean, literally, when we started the church, there was four children. Beth Pander was our first children's coordinator. She had a sweet gig. She killed it. She was awesome. But, I mean, it was like getting volunteers was easy. Supplies were cheap. A box of diapers. And then we tell them, bring your own. Right? Over 100 children each week hear the gospel, four of whom are getting baptized today. Our children's ministry is one of our most opportune places for an unreached people group. The beautiful thing is I know many of them are also hearing about Christ at home, which is our hope. But there was this awe amongst them of what God was doing, and I think we go so fast in our culture that we miss taking inventory of what the Lord has done. Some of you, your marriage was dead. It's been resurrected. It's still not perfect. But stop and rejoice and look at what God has done. Some of you, you didn't have a heart for God, and now you do. And things aren't perfect, but there at least is hope. It says they had all things in common. This isn't some just full uniformity around all being exactly alike. And to be fair, we are a very white church. Our context is very white. I know some of you are like, hey, I'm part Hispanic or Asian or... You know, African-American or whatever. I get that. I want that here. But I was complaining to someone saying, like, I want a more inter-racial church. And they're like, then why did you plant in the Woodlands, Texas? I mean, more likely, I think we have, we have like a couple British folks and a couple Canadians occasionally. But they had all things in common coming together saying, you know what? We unify around one thing, not politics, not socioeconomic status, not race. We come around one thing, and that is Christ and him crucified, dead and buried, raised again, him coming again, and forming together as his people on mission to communicate the greatest news the world has ever known. That's our unifying factor. That is our hope. That is what we will charge the hill with. We see in this passage, they had generosity. They shared with each other as any had a need. And you all do a beautiful job of that. Meals here, I mean, because of all the babies we're having, we've gotten down to science providing meals and help. But you all have been financially generous as families have gone through and struggled in many ways. The beautiful thing here at the church is when people hear that someone's struggling, many of you come up to me and say, how can we help? And some of you are just blunt. Do they need money? First of all I'm like we're all in our 30s mostly of course we all need money right in 40s and 50s and 20s but but the beauty of generosity is saying you know what not all this is mine we start asking better questions as a community saying not just what should we keep but how much or, or not what should we give but how much should we as a body keep there's this generosity in our body that we've been fighting to cultivate in a very self-absorbed culture that says me first Mine second, others who I prefer third, and then if any left, we'll give to God. And you all have been maturing and growing in generosity. Financially, you've been very generous. Average per person giving at most churches is doing pretty well. Between $25 and $30 per person, if you take the amount given um, per year and divide it by the weeks and divide it by the number of people who attend, it's usually around $25. We're at $45 to $49. That's wonderful. Now some of you are like, well, I need to cut back. No. Let's scale up. Let's be a generous community. Steph and I sit and ask, how much should we give this year? How much should we keep? What should we do? Who can we help? How do we?" And it's joy. Being able to help neighbors and friends and people who don't even know we're helping anonymously, there's joy. Why? Because Christ paid it all. He gave it all. And so we get to live our lives as a thank you. All that we have is his. We get all this and Jesus as well. We see that they had an intentional, ongoing connection. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They would gather together. The reality is, is most of our folks, if they're regular attenders, come to church 75% of the time at the top. That means people are taking three months off per, per year. And I hope as we grow and mature as a church that we understand that we don't just show up to serve. We come here to worship. The gathering of worship on Sunday isn't just coming to consume or getting helpful tips on how to be happy and healthy. The gathering of the saints for the purpose of worship is us carving out time because Jesus is worth it. And we gather together giving him praise and attention and affection. We honor him by encouraging each other and praying for each other. We honor him by serving each other the way he modeled for us to serve in John chapter 13 when he washed his disciples' feet. We come because he is worth it. And so, my hope as we grow and mature as a church family is that we would make this a priority, not just to go to church to check something off, but because we realize we need God, we need each other. At the end of verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just so you know, I first led someone to Christ way before I was a pastor or a minister. It wasn't like, well, I became a pastor, and so then all of a sudden, if you die tonight, where would you go? Fair question. And I've shared the story with some of you before. My friend came over. He had seen some really horrible things as a paramedic and asked me about Jesus, and I told him my story, and he's like, I want that. And at the time, I hadn't hung out with many Baptists yet, so I didn't know the formal sinner's prayer, and so I officiated a wedding between him and Jesus. Do you take Jesus to be your lawfully gained Savior? I do. I think that's it. There's that. He's like, what do I do now? I don't know. Love God and read his Bible. I don't know. I didn't know. I just I knew what I knew at the time. God is saving people. That's the joy we have of being his mouthpiece and participating. Talking to your children about Jesus is a grace and a gift to you. Talking to your neighbor, to your friend, your coworkers, to family members. Beginning to engage in that, and the Lord is adding to our numbers, and the Lord is adding to our numbers. My hope for Christ Community Church, now that we have a critical mass and a core of believers who are on mission together and growing in maturity to be able to live out that mission, my hope for us, Christ Community Church, is that in the next year we will grow by 25%, and that 25% will be new people to faith not people who transfer from other churches that they're displeased with or anything else. And Look, if you transferred here because of that or whatever, I just encourage you to settle well with your other church. But My heart when we planted Christ Community Church wasn't to come gather all the other people from all the other churches to feel good about ourselves and have money and people. My heart was to come here to plant the gospel and to see lives transformed. So in this passage, we can see that the gospel transformation is the foundation and hope of every Christian church. If lives, are not, if lives are not being transformed by the gospel of Jesus, then what are we doing? If people aren't coming to faith in Christ, if marriages are not being restored, if people are not being set free from their addictions if people are liberated from their addiction to money and power and rather see their money as a stewardship opportunity, that God has granted them various levels of fuel to use to fuel his kingdom. Gospel transfer life transformation is the foundation and hope of our church, every Christian church. If lives are being changed, we're just a spiritual country club second thing we see in this is Jesus is the cause and he is the sustainer of gospel community. We don't need Jesus just to get started. We need Jesus now and forevermore. He must be our treasure and we must begin to realize when that's not true in our lives that we realign and realize his great value and the vision he's given us to find ultimate, deep, satisfying joy in him. If he made you, then he knows you best. He knows you in your loneliness. He knows you in your celebration. He knows you in your disappointment. He knows you in your grief. And if you are a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, then Romans 8.28 is true for you. For God uses all things for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. The negative things that happen in our lives, God is in the business of redeeming, restoring, and using for his glory and for your joy. I beat that drum a lot, so I won't hit hard on that today. I've seen it in my own life, and I've seen it in in yours. But Jesus is the sustainer. Look, here's what I know is when people have disconnected from community... There's often a a parallel disconnection from their daily walk with the Lord. And typically, people pull away from community, whether they've maybe been confronted with some sin that they don't like how they were confronted, or they don't feel like they were included like they should be, or whatever's going on. They withdraw from community. But there's usually this parallel withdrawal. And let me tell you this. If your community is just your family and the Word of God then one, I think you're being disobedient. And number two, you're missing out. We have over 80% involvement of you all in community groups. We have 13 community groups now. We're about to start another welcome group in the beginning of May. But I want to encourage you, don't get plugged in for the sake of checking something off. Get plugged in so that you can gather with people, be known, and get to know others. Learn how to enjoy Christ together but our only hope is is Jesus. He, He gives and creates community. He's our cause, he's the reason, and he's the one that keeps it going. And number three is this, the fruit of gospel community is reproduction and multiplication. We exist to glorify God by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing, that is maturing, and then multiplying seeing other people through their life and ministry come to faith in Christ. By God's grace, we've already planted two churches directly out of Christ Community Church. We planted Redeemer Church in Bryan College Station, and then we planted Creekside Community Church in San Marcos. And by planting, it's not just like, hey, congratulations, good luck, but we still stay in touch. I met with those pastors this last week in Dallas, prayed for them both. We still fund them both. We actually give over 12% of our gross income away to church planting and to missions. So last year, I think it was close to $80,000, I believe we gave away. $80,000 out of a $640,000 budget to church planting and to missions, and to serving those who needed help becoming whole. And just so you, you hear this, I don't want you to be like, wow, they're really full of themselves. We're not. We are people who have been and are in need of Jesus and he's mercifully come and saved us and sustained us and keep us and he's been using us. He's been using you. Those of you who don't know my testimony, I didn't grow up in the church. My father, uh, I shared this a few weeks ago, my father was raised and then uh, their version of baptism is called mikvah, became Jewish, and then bar mitzvah. So he became a full Jew through conversion because his mom wasn't Jewish. So, um, And when I was six years old, my friend Mikey Davis, his parents invited us to go to First Baptist of Houston. It's now called Houston's First Baptist or Houston's First. But we went to First Baptist Church of Houston. Craziest thing happened. They gave this six-year-old dyslexic kid, me, a King James Version of the Bible, Mean. And then my father heard a man speak that day. That my father was a Messianic Jew, meaning the man was Jewish, but he believed Jesus is Messiah. And so my father said, "I think that's what's been missing." And so my friend Baylor—well, he wasn't really my friend; he actually terrorized me on my baseball team. But that's a different testimony and story. <laughs> but his dad was a former professional baseball player, and he invited us to their church closer to our home, called Western Meadows Christian Church. And so we accepted that invitation, and the pastor there, Pastor Wayne, took my father under his wing, led him to the Lord, baptized him, my mom, and my sister. And then there was church stuff happened there and we got busy with life. And then eventually some friends invited us to Shirtland First United Methodist Church where I went when I was young, was confirmed, didn't know God. After my crash, when I was 17, um, the pastor, new pastor there came to see me. I started attending church there. I tried being religious, which means I was doing a lot of stuff for God, trying to be good and nice. And I wasn't, I was never good enough or nice enough. And so God helped me realize at the age of 17 with a guest preacher there out of John chapter five, that I was not well that I was broken because of my sin. And the preacher asked, like Jesus did to the man who was paralyzed, do you want to be well? And my soul cried out, yes. And Jesus saved me. After serving there, becoming the youth minister eventually, uh, I served there until 2002, which we were then, in, we left as I started speaking full time. And we were invited to a church plant called Crossbridge Community Church, which was a church plant out of Sugar Creek Baptist Church. And from there, we were invited to be part of the, of the launch team. I ended up being the youth minister for a couple years, year and a half, something like that. And then eventually they sent us out to plant because we were invited by our friends the Hides, to go plant Christ Church in Brenham, which is now called Redeemer Church in Brenham. And then from there, I was asked to come out and preach at a church that was out here that was struggling. And um, I preached for a little bit, but really since through my elders and through discernment that I wasn't to be their pastor, but the Lord was calling us to this area. And so we moved here and began gathering people for Christ Community Church. So we gathered our first group of people and had our first formal meeting in January 2010. How many of you were at that first informational meeting over at the La Quinta? Zero of you. Literally zero. Stephanie, you were. So shout out to our first church member, Stephanie Cease. Yeah? She had no choice. Um, she had the big ring on, so, well, it was a very small ring at the time, but. Uh, Yeah, she was our first church member. She Gave good feedback, sometimes hard on the pastor. uh, No, she's been a a joy and a help and a balance uh, because I'll go 90 to nothing, and she's a wonderful help uh, through that. So our first core group started putting two to two together. We were like, we're going to launch in fall of 2010, and uh, they were like, who's going to set up and tear down? I was like, Us. And to be fair, they had just come out of a church plant that had not gone so well, and so the majority of them felt called to go to another Acts 29 church in the area. And so I went to sit with a mentor of mine, and I said, I just feel so frustrated that they didn't respect me. He said, hold on. This guy's usually very quiet. Some of you all met my friend Rod. He says, Jesus wasn't respected, so why do you think you're going to be? That was my favorite. And then he sent a check the next week to help support the church and keep us going. And said, "Keep going." And so he started gathering. And all of a sudden, Robert Panner, who had told me no uh, when I tried to ask him to be a part of the church, he's like, "Now we're going to this other church." And I'm not into stealing sheep, so I was like, "Okay." I still prayed for Robert, and I prayed the Lord would uh, torture him with nightmares until he said yes. Uh, that's how half of you got here. You're like, "My dream, my nightmare stopped." You're welcome. <laughs> I'm only kidding. But he called me, said, "Hey, I think let's meet again." We went to Witch Witch. Was it the second date at Witch Witch, Robert? Yeah? I think I even paid that time. I might have made him pay. And he's like, I think we want to come and be a part of this. And so we got a family, and then we started getting some other families. Our friends, the McNairs, moved down from Houston, and we started gathering in our apartment again and building momentum. And so um, August 2010 was like a low point. Uh, September, October, things started coming together. Um, I remember my friend Josh Owen, who now has gone to plant over in San Marcos, whom um, I knew since before he knew Christ when he was 12 and discipled him when he came to faith uh, and now has gone to plant a church. Um, He came, and I remember him walking through the apartment door uh, when I begged him to come be a part of our launch team. Um, I remember Stephanie started crying when Josh and Kelly walked through the door. I don't even know if you even really met Kelly. We saw her at the wedding. But but Josh and Kelly walked through the door, and Steph just started crying because someone that knew us wanted to be there to support us. So we started gathering, and then my pastor back at Crossbridge in Sugarland gave us this launch plan of, okay, you're going to do preview services. Our first preview service, we had like 110 people, and I was like, we're killing it for the Lord. The next one, we had 60-something people, and I had the flu. I wanted to die. In March, we had one, and then we launched on April 3rd, 2011, with 75 people. That's a, that's a good core. And then we dropped next week to 32, and thus it began. Now, mind you, in 2009, the point where God began calling me to plant a church, I was speaking at an event with multiple thousands of people, big-name artists, and I was there, and just my soul was like, this is fine, but I think God's calling me to invest in a place, in a people, to plant the gospel, make disciples, to see pagans become church planters. And he moved us here, and thus We launched. And with all that, friends, here's our narrative and our story today, and you are a part of it. We've gone after property and then had the door closed on us. We've tried things that have failed. We've done things that, by God's grace, have succeeded. But all along, the faithfulness of our God has been with us that we are a people who have been redeemed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are people who have been sealed and filled with God's Holy Spirit. We are people who have been called out of darkness into a marvelous light. We are gathering as a people who exist to glorify God, meaning to show God, to reflect who God is, by making followers of Jesus Christ who are growing and multiplying. And you are a part of that. Even if you're stopping by just for a bit or you're visiting one time, you are a part of the story. And so I want to say as the lead pastor, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, for your patience. Thank you for your feedback and your service. Thank you for bearing with frustrations and endeavoring to work through issues. Thank you for gathering with people that may not be just like you, but bearing with each other in love. Thank you to my older friends who I literally begged when we first started getting older people to come. Please just stay. The chairs aren't comfortable. The music's loud. The light is dim. Please just stay. And you have. Thank you. That we might actually begin to live in Titus 2 where the older women are investing in the younger women and older men and the younger men. And if not, younger guys, younger ladies, let's be those crazy old people one day. That's why I tell people it's like, they're like, I, I turned 40 in a-, a little over a year from now. And like, oh my gosh, you said I'm like, no, I'm thrilled. People will start kind of taking me seriously. <laughs> Something happens when you're 40 in the ministry. So, friends, we have a great opportunity before us next week. I talked a lot about how, through God using a series of invitations, we find ourselves here today celebrating six years of faithfulness. You've had this on your invite card. Even you introverts, I'm just asking you for one. And some of you have just kind of left them in H-E-B, you know, shopping carts and stuff. Maybe go leave them in the beer aisle or somewhere. But the person at Starbucks, the neighbor you have, the friend, People are far more likely to attend a church on Easter than they are any other time of the year. Followed by Christmas. Invite people to come. We're having two services, 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock next week. People are like, why did you do an egg hunt at 8.15 and at 12.15? Anybody have that question? Like, what are they thinking? They don't have any brains. Here's the problem. Parking. When we're full like this today, we have very few parking spots left. And so if we did one in-between Easter egg hunt, it would be pandemonium. People would come meet Jesus and then lose him as soon as they went out there to try to leave. I know you can't, but metaphorically speaking. So we're working with what we've been given. We've been blessed with this facility, great partnership with Legacy. But invite somebody. Pray and ask God, God, who can I invite? Who can I bring to hear about the hope that Christ restores in us, that gives us the life that has been given Look, I know some of us are nervous about the church growing, but let me tell you this, anything that's healthy grows. That's why being in biblical community with a group, a community group helps you to not feel just like a number. I'm not interested in building this massive church just so we have a bunch of people and a bunch of money. I want people who are far from God to meet him through his son Jesus, and the way he predominantly meets them through Jesus is through God's people. That we gather together and we yes, we have intimacy with one another, but the purpose of that intimacy is to grow in maturity so that we can multiply and see this area, this nation, this world impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Lord is faithful to his bride to add to her number daily those who are being saved. As we send missionaries around the world, as we plant churches, as we partner with church plants in Bath, England and in Nairobi, Kenya, You are a part of something that isn't just something to do on Sundays. It's God's faithful promise being kept and multiplied. And you're a part of it. And so as we celebrate today, in just a few moments, we'll go out and celebrate baptism. Some young souls who are trusting in Jesus Christ, who myself or one of our pastors has met with, has talked with them and their parents. And we're going to see Some young folks who have placed their hope and trust in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never hoped in Christ, then as Peter preached to the first crowd of people, to the first church, then turn from your sins and trust in Jesus and be baptized. We actually, I think, have a few things. If a few of you want to come and know the Lord and be baptized, grab one of the pastors during the Lord's Supper. We believe that God is on the move. He is saving people, and we want to be a part of what he's doing, and I want you to enjoy it as well. The beautiful thing is that God is faithful to keep his promises to the bride of Christ, his church. So as we celebrate six years today, we celebrate him. Let's pray.